0: Welcome to the, the review on the 2nd of May 2023. Another title winning season for, for Celtic. A highly likely, like-o. I'm so excited I can't speak it. Highly likely treble. It is me, Christian Wolf, in the host chair this week because Graham Mackay has one of his many, many holidays. Uh, so he's left me again. But what a replacement! A debutante on the review, it's the, it's Jota's friend. It's Colin Kearney. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep, my close personal friend, Jota. Uh, yes, I'm like the sickly child in a baseball movie who asks somebody to hit them a home run. That's what I said to Jota. I was like, score score me a goal. Score me a goal, Jota. And he did. So uh, yeah, great news.
0: See, Jota, obviously he's, I'm bringing this up because he, he's, obviously, he's got a DJ friend now, right? A Scottish DJ friend. Um, who is from Air, and he this I, I can't even remember his last name. That's how little I know about the Scottish DJ scene. And th- there was a big rave at Air Beach this weekend, Colin, and and he was like kind of the, the organizer of it, which was uh, interesting because I heard it two days in a row. Um, but it was it was really good in terms of there was lots of like quite old ravers. I was I went for a walk last night down to the beach, and quite a few can tell, like mid-50s, late-50s, people who have been to a lot of raves in the 90s. I think by um, definition, ravers
1: tell. ravers are like middle-aged, let's face it. I don't think there's too many young ravers out
0: there. Uh, it, it, it was heartening to see uh, that some of them survived. Um, and, and managed to, to, to last all day as well. But I was going to say, obviously, I mean, if, if Jota can make a DJ friend, surely You've, I think you got in. In terms of, can you be Jota's furniture restorer friend?
1: Well, that's the dream, obviously. Uh, so it seems
0: like it seem like the kind of guy who'd be into that.
1: We need to, we need, yeah, we need to get the word out. Um, I will do very competitive rates to uh, refinish Jota's G Plan furniture. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like next time you are in the press conference, you yeah. know, you, you, you got in. Um, I have been joining your Instagram account. The, 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 obviously. You, uh, on attention again but Colin's obviously a, a mid-century a lot of mid-century furniture restore, but also different uh, periods um, can, can I come up with a suggestion can, can you do some of those time lapses where you kind of sand something because I, I thought they were very satisfying
1: I just discovered that function actually uh, so I will be doing more of that I'll be absolutely hammering that into the ground I'm I'm currently working behind the scenes and actually sort of getting a slightly more professional. You've been saying that for a few months up. now, mate. I, ha- I have, yeah, but I'm blaming other people for uh, not coming up with the goods, so I'm just going to rely on that excuse. But I promise you, uh, the Michael f-
0: Beale of uh, sure Oh, the story, that's though. that's yes, that's a just... that's a
1: low blow. But um, <laughs> so uh, that's the point. I think we should actually move on to the football because it's getting <laughs> it's getting it's getting rude already. A little bit personal. <laughs>
0: We have a lot to talk about. Uh, most importantly, we'll, we'll spend the whole 89 minutes of the 90 minutes we, we got left on It's probably Celtic one, Rangers zero in the Scottish Cup semi final. Um, I don't have too many. I, I didn't want to overload you, Colin. I got 15 mm-hmm. images, but there's a lot to talk to, uh, true as, as well. But we might catch up on a little bit of, you know, Celtic SPFL news. At the end of the podcast, but Colin since this is your debut on the on the nerd pods stats tactics what, what's your history with them what's your what's your vibe towards it uh
1: well, I received your uh your document about the statistics uh from mm-hmm. the game and uh blanched slightly that it was like twenty five pages long, <laughs> but it had a glossary at the end which i which I was very pleased to see um and yeah, my I I come from a, an arts background. I'm not really a numbers guy, but I had a good had a good look at it all. I, I think I understood at least half of it. <laughs> and um, but yeah, what what will be interesting is is just to like. There's definitely some things that as I was going through it, I, I raised some questions that I was I'd like to ask you about. So as we go through it, um, I will come in with my um, dumbass uh, questions and you can explain lucidly what it's
0: no, like. No stupid questions on this pod. People when, always
1: say that. But when now. Graham's away.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> so it's always calling you, you received the, the full um, I'm sure if listeners more you know, desperate to know you, you received the White Scout match report, which is, you know, a lot of these companies um, just do a whole report after each game, which every possible uh, stat within it, I, I will tell you, Colin. A lot of it is just fluff. A lot of it you have to take. Like it's, you know, a, a one match stats package is, you know, tread carefully. But the, I thought I do like the Wisecat one because it gives you a nice. They break the game off uh, on the first base. They break the day. They like kind of the game down into fifty minute parts a lot in terms of a lot of the stats. So, so it gives you kind of a sense of. I guess the nature of the game and the, and the flow of the game uh, when you sit and, and you know to have that, and I think we'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, a mm. few of them. And
1: the uh, yeah. thing that, that I I was thinking about. Um, I used to I used to work in bars and used to run bars, and we would have spreadsheets and data coming in, and you would get your your P and L, your profit and loss at the end of it of, uh, end of every month. And when you first see a PL, you freak out because it's just hundreds of numbers, hundreds of columns. And then but once you understand one, you you're, you're essentially looking at three things. And you if those three things are all good, then everything's shiny and you move on. Do you kind of approach these reports a bit like that? Do you are there certain things that you'll focus in on just to sort of see the, the headlines and then or are you just like really going granular all the time?
0: I think that's a good point in terms of the more you work with stats and numbers be it you know a financial ledger or you know from a football game i think the key thing is knowing what you should be looking at and what you can disregard to a certain degree and i think with football the fluff. stats they're and i think a lot of football stats that are just over a single game are close to useless a lot especially on on a player level i mean with everything you, you know, you, you need a bigger sample. You need to be able to see and prove certain trends. So I wouldn't, in terms of a game like this or any other Celtic game, I have a glance at the numbers, and and I think uh, I think some of them are more interesting than others. But if you have the opportunity, like we do, to, to go really into that on one team like Celtic, there's no substitute for just watching the game again. And, and thinking about it in those terms. And I was like a game like this for every month. I reckon that I was to somebody about this before in terms of an average kind of analysis we do for this in terms of the image. It takes me probably between six to eight hours to go through it. And there's very little numbers in that. It's just watching it again taking notes and then also like the the physical like (laughs) physical labor not the physical labor because it's just my hand uh but putting up all the image and stuff like that so if you have the chance to be in depth with a team like celtic there's absolutely no substitute for just watching the game and watching it again and and doing that but i i I do as you know i I do like the numbers because it gives you it's a correction to your own eyes or you can if you know what you have hopefully what you're looking at, it can be a correction to your own eyes as well, which I think is healthy.
1: Cool. Well, I mean, uh, there's a, we'll come back to that because I think we'll talk about, uh, we're planning to talk about uh, Rio Hattie and mm. yeah, yeah uh, later on. So when we get, let, let's stick a pin in that. And when we come around to that, I've got another question for you, but let's crack on.
0: You just interrupt me at any time. You might have to, otherwise you won't get to speak. Uh, but, so, we'll send out some images uh, as well. They're not quite ready. Colin's getting the draft version, I do apologise, but um, we'll tidy them up and send them out a little bit so you can have a look. But, image, just let's start with the stats, Colin. Obviously, just, to, to be fair, we, we, you know, as we said for me and Graham, we, we get accused of sucking the joy out of everything. And I mean, things are bad, we're saying, <laughs> they're not actually that bad, but I should start and say, how was yesterday for you? We are recording this on Monday night, and it was... You know, it's a bit over twenty four hours uh, after the game. How oh, was it for you? Colin?
1: Uh, I really had quite the day of it yesterday because uh, I, I think that was a big, it was a big, big game, and it was a big result. And I, I was incredibly nervous all the way through it. Yeah. And I was, uh, I, I'm not going to lie, I did a powder drinking through that game, <laughs> uh, and uh, and and literally sort of going through the covers to find. Uh, something viable to drink, (laughs) um, because it was absolutely yeah, it was it was it was a nerve a nerve wringing game, and um, but when when the final whistle went, uh, I I I was I I, I can't remember being happier this season. To be honest, it was a it was it was a relief, and but it also felt like quite a big moment in the season.
0: I was to say but there was so much tension in, in the first half. But see, like the first five ten minutes of the second half took forever. We'll come back to why maybe why it did feel like that as well. But that was tough <laughs> to do that, and it's uh, I was the same. You know, I wasn't drinking yesterday, but it was it might have helped because that was probably when it, they kind of scope of the achievement um, of this you know, is this a couple of boxes to tick, but I think they are literally just box ticking exercises after that, I think the scope of the achievement of, of Ange and what the team have done will, will really hit home in a, in a few weeks and we might get back to that on the uh, end of the pod as well because we got a couple of questions from the listeners and one on Ange as well at the end of it so, but Colin I hope you're not too disappointed to to when you open up your stats report to see that Rangers you just had the most XG? Does that put a damper on anything?
1: Um, no, they had. They really kind of. I mean, we always talk about must-win matches, and this yeah. is the last chance they had to get anything out of this season. Um, and the thing that really struck me when I when I sort of started looking over the numbers is. Uh, they had zero XG in the first half, and that kind of... I,
0: I, I would, Yeah, it, it was strange, although I, I do think, you know, obviously did the companies get a video feed of this? I think the video feed was so cloudy with that smoke they couldn't see Raskin's shot after about 10 seconds <laughs> because they did have a shot, but it would have been very low XG. But as you say, looking back, it's like, I thought Rangers had more shots in the first half, but essentially... They have that after ten seconds, and after that, it's about the fifty-first minute. That, I mean, Celtic again don't have loads, but we'll get back to this. I think the first half, looking back, felt 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 quite good. I mean, it's tension there, but you know, image two is a representation of like the different kind of stats: ball possession, average formation line, attacks per minute, pass accuracy, and. And how many long passes as, as a total percentage of all the passes the teams have. And it was, as the eyes kind of told us, Colin, that, that first half overall was something controlling, it to to three kind of dominating and not many chances. But as you said, Rangers hardly has a shot on the first half. And we'll, we'll get back to what I think worked in the first half. But at halftime, Colin, I think well quite pleased
1: yeah i i was i was a, i was kind of concerned about that lack of chance creation i mean that was the thing that i thought i thought we were playing okay um mm-hmm. but one thing I did say at the time, and this was just like the eye test the the vibes uh was I felt that we were losing a lot out in the second balls in midfield um and we weren't getting those second balls and we weren't controlling it. I mean, like we're talking about controlling the game, but I felt yeah. like we were really losing a lot of these balls and it seems that like the kind of um, with these transitions that were happening, it seemed like we actually uh, looking. at, I mean, also I may be completely misusing the data, so you no, can, no, there you go. You can jump, jump on me with your hobnail boots, but uh, talking about recoveries um, and, and that sort of Celtic 27 recoveries, Rangers 42. Uh is that a kind of is that backing up my eyes? Am I using the data correctly? Because I'm not holding on to the ball in midfield?
0: Yeah, I mean I, again, I, I would say take a lot of these one game stats with a pinch of salt. But I do think it is uh I think it comes from the way Rangers wants to play these games as well. Because We talked a lot about before the game whether they would try to play out from the back a bit more, like they did in the in the last derby, or if they're going to try and essentially go long from the back a lot more. And I think they did play it a couple of times. Uh, I I think again they kind of had one or two passes to the centre back and the full back, and then and then went long really. So I I think they were creating a kind of game state, if you want to call it that, and where. There would be a lot of second balls, and, and there would be a lot of balls falling down. I think Rangers, as a team, in the way they very focused on keeping a lot of players in the middle of the pitch. Obviously, you know, while those kind of recoveries are very random at the point, it, it's the kind of games state they want to get into because they are very much about winning those second balls. Um, um, yeah, can I ask a question about like
1: that? That I noticed this kind of playing out. Um, The the, you know, as you just described, a couple of passes in the back and then going long is that because they're trying to invite the press? So bringing sort of three or four of our players up close and then trying to just basically lob over them and and sort of create an overload effectively,
0: yeah. That's essentially it. Whereas, once you you don't, there's a couple of points why you would do it, as you said, you, you get over the press, um. But then obviously the other part of that, you need to be set up as a team to then handle the second balls. So it's a, it's a very much, it's, you know, we talked about this at the pub before, but it's, it's, Celtic and Rangers are often treated as the same kind of, you have to prepare to play both of them in the same way if you're in Scotland, but they have very different styles. Beal has a very different style than as opposed to Coakley, whereas Rangers on the Beal is very much a bit more like, you know, I call it red bullish. You know, they they want to get the ball up the pitch quickly. You know, four or five seconds. You know, to try and get a shot off. And the way to do that is to create those situations, I should say. So you want the other team to move up the pitch and then send a long ball over them. And then the first ball is always going to be a, lot, a bit of a lottery. But on the second ball, if you have lots of players in the middle of the pitch and you win the ball high up. You know, it's and from that you, you try to then create those kind of situations. So it's it's almost like trying to artificially create counterpressing. Like you almost almost losing the ball on purpose. But because you've got lots of players around the ball where those that kind of duel is, your chances of winning it is, it's bigger and you have a shorter, you know, path to the goal, essentially.
1: So yes, yeah, but basically fake playing out from the back. It's our sets. It's <laughs> just it's just trying to be modern, but really it's just hoof it up the park football. <laughs>
0: and, and, and you see, like long bullshit, like in okay in, in the first half, thirteen percent of, but well, actually the whole, you know the, the whole game, thirteen percent of French passes, are described as long what, 6% of Celtics passes are described as long. And, you know, there's, there's periods where ranges go up to, like, almost 20% of all the passes in that 50 minute period are long passes. And I, I think you saw that. Um, so I, but I think, you know, if you move to image tree, Colin, that is essentially the way range is set up My Celtic had the ball. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of me and Gal talked on the preview that the last three Derby's... I Manchester had set up defensively three different ways but we did expect them to maybe replicate what they've done in the last RB and, it, and roughly they did You know, from the front to in like a 2-4-4 four, four. Uh, it was Tillman's job to kind of cover McGregor as the deep pivot and then you had those kind of four players in midfield, Kent who would be on Alistair Johnson, Cantwell on the other side to be on Greg Taylor and then he had Rundstrom and Raskin on O'Reilly and, and had because I think, to large part, it worked quite well um, in the last game. And I think what it took away, it, it, it simplified things for Rancherson, in right? Because there was one against one in terms of which man you had. There wasn't any element of you have to leave one player and rush out to another one. So. Uh, I expected that and I, and I think you could you can kinda of see why they wanted to do it again. But let's talk about first half I'll call it in terms of how Celtic coped with that cope put them when they're trying to play the ball out from the back. I mean for me I, I thought it could take quite well. We can go into some, some details, but what did you feel in the first half? Like what Celtic was trying to play out?
1: Yeah, I I feel that um their press seemed to be a bit more uh, determined than it's been in the past. I mean, I mean, obviously Morelos is still, you know, just not really putting in a huge amount of work, but it seemed like they were trying to um, close it down. But I, I, I felt that, especially um, Starfield and uh, CCB did some actual quite helpful uh, runs, like and breaking the lines and taking the ball out. And uh, there was uh, I think CCV especially. I, I don't even know if it was in the first half now because it was all a wee bit of a blur. I've looked back We're we'll,
0: we'll coming <laughs> to it. Yeah, he had a nice one in the second half. Yeah,
1: and um, But yeah, I, I, feel, I mean, I, I felt like quite confident in in sort of uh, how we were dealing with things and especially when we were on the ball. Um, I feel like our passing was pretty crisp uh, uh, and yeah. then it kind of deteriorated as the game went on <laughs> a little bit. But, but I, yeah. I, I was feeling pretty good about it. And, and I think
0: the plan, and I, and I think watching the last hour be back as well, and and also the game against Motherwell, a lot of the key here is always to get Callum McGregor on the ball. But Callum McGregor McGregor will be, you know, marked usually by one of the two front players. So the way to kind of try and do that is, it's very seldom he'll have Carstall, Felt, or CCB being able to send the ball straight to Carl McGregor behind the front two. But uh, what Celtic obviously tried to do at the start was get the ball out wide and then into Carl McGregor. Greg Taylor tried it a couple of times, but one of the times Carl McGregor got the ball but essentially he got pickpocketed by, by Tillman, who I thought was actually a little bit better in the press than he has been before so I actually didn't mind when he went off. And a couple of times it didn't quite work, but I think image four is just a, a good representation of when it did work. And that, as we saw in the last derby as well, is when Tillman kind of... Alistair Johnson has the ball on the right-hand side. And Tillman again kind of gambles on Alistair Johnson sending the ball back to CCV. And I have a screen print from this from the last derby; it's pretty much exactly the same. Instead, Alistair Johnson... And, and he does this quite well. And that kind of build-up is that when one of the strikers jumps... Or gets ready, like stealing a base in baseball, uh, gets ready to jump with the centre-back. He just slides it into McGregor. So I, I, I think getting McGregor on the ball was, was pretty good um, from that. But going on a bit more on the left-hand side, looking at that first half, I thought there was three, well, this is quite a good few three players, but on the left-hand side, the role of Hatate, Mayeda and Greg Taylor. Now, and this is kind of like a good test column, I think, in terms of watching a game with all the emotion and all the tension. Because when I was watching this, pretty much through the whole game, I was like, "It was probably a bit too early for Rihartati." You know, he's, he, you know, he was doing a couple of good things, but he wasn't quite at it. And you kind of get, he's oh, just back. And we have a question from from Mark Barkley, which we're gonna part of that. I'm gonna come back to to later because he was saying, question for the podcast. Is Ange slow at reacting to players he's gambled on, saying Hatati was clearly off the pace of the game? And for me, he should have been or subbed at halftime. It was also the case with Moya Park and 3-2 again. We'll get back to Ange's subs, because I think that's a good point. But I, I had the same reaction as, as Mark there in terms of that. Watching, watching it back, Colin, I think the rewatch is kinder to Hatati. What was your kind of feelings watching it live?
1: The overwhelming feeling that a lot of our creative play was going down the right um, and I felt that uh, Johnson was having a pretty good game and sort of feeding Jota and it felt like we were very biased down the right um, which maybe gave the impression that sort of other, certain players in the le- and I think when we were going down the left, I think Maida was kind of... Up and down, uh, I think throughout the game he did some brilliant stuff. But he also some of his part from like the the delivery of which uh, leads to the goal is a bit all over the place. Um, Hatati seemed quiet. Uh, I know what you mean because I think we expect such big things from him because he, yeah. he is such an exciting player and he can do these outrageous passes. Um and but you're right, I think I was like, hmm, he's been a bit quiet, but then looking back, um uh and also I think you know, Mark Bartley's talking about he should have been hooked at half time, I really didn't feel that strongly about it. I think um I don't think Ange really likes to do that generally. And uh, I don't think he really deserved it, and I think he actually he was really coming into a game in the, in the second half. And when he got subbed off, I, th- I feel like he was just oh, kind of warming to the task.
0: Oh, we get back to that, Colin. Don't you worry? <laughs> but I, no, I, I, and, and I get what Mark is saying as well because I thought he was quiet, and I think he, he, I thought he was also slightly off the pace. But maybe that was more in terms of what you're saying about those second balls and stuff, because the team with Riyadate he's like he's an immensely, immensely te- intelligent player, right? And I think there was looking back at the game. Um, what he did th- repeatedly was when Celtic had building up from the back of the left hand side he would go really wide and I don't think that's a coincidence because in that kind of midfield four that Rangers have what you essentially want to do is then you really don't want to get static you want to try and because essentially one against one in the midfield the two fullbacks and two number eight to Celtic against those four Rangers midfielders so we had to purposefully went wide and went wide and then that poses a question of, of Lundstrom. Do do you follow me? Do you come after? And then creates and especially if Ranger's only got two central midfielders, you know, suddenly that there, there can be a lot of space there. So so image five, looking back was was great. I, I think this is it's, it's quite early on. Um I think it's after about nine minutes. Greg Taylor has the ball out left, Cantwell's pressing him. Rio Tati's making a run out wide with John Lundstrom falling but if you actually look at Rhea he essentially points to Cal McGregor he's, 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 he looks at Greg Telling he points to Cal McGregor look <laughs> it, I, I think it's purpose does this because he knows if he pulls Lundstrom away out wide there is nobody jumping on Cal McGregor um,
1: and then you, Kim McGregor would have the, the run of the center ex- of the party
0: exactly, in the image five you can see there's, there's a very big space and Kamigur gets the ball and it brings it up as well. Um, but I think that kind of movement he did out wide, pulling Lundstrom out, really worked. Because image six is essentially, um, you can see Ria Tati at the bottom of the screen all the way out on the sideline. And you can see what he's done. He's switched places with De Smaeda. And you can kind of see, <laughs> took the left-hand side of the image column, you can see James Tavernier, which is pretty funny because he's, he's facing the, the wrong way. So I think that kind of movement of Hatati going out wide, the Dice Maeda coming in, James Tavernier has lost Dice Maeda completely. Um, John Lundstrom is, is in no man's land as well, really. And it's allowed Greg Taylor to hit a really nice ball into Dice Maeda in that space between the Rangers' back line and the midfield line. Because remember, they do. I think the weakness in that Rangers' setup, while well, they worked quite well for him last derby, it is they only had two central midfielders. And if you have somebody like Rio Tate, who's very dynamic and moving, you know, up and down across the pitch, you're pulling them in every other direction. And and I think obviously with, you don't have to go over it, but Aaron Moy's performance in the last derby wasn't great anyway, but his forte isn't moving across the pitch. His forte is getting on the ball. But if you got a player like, you know, it's, it's unfair to compare any player with the Tati. you know, but you get Rio you know, Tate player who's just, back and forth, back and forth, moving all the time. You're going to pull them out of shape. I think a lot of the running we had to do was pulling, especially Lundstrom, out of shape.
1: I think something we accuse, but a common sort of accusation that's levelled at players is ball-watching. And (laughs) I think as fans, you do the same thing. You're ball-watching because that's where the action's going on and you're not noticing these movements. And I think this is something that I think sometimes it's easier to see when you're actually at a game and you can sort of, you know, do you remember that Zidane movie where they just follow yeah. Zidane about, you know, you can do that at your leisure. You can follow a player that you're interested to in, see how they play and you can see a lot of what they do off the ball. Um, and yeah, I, I think this, the, this is something that's new to me because like uh, I never, like when I was learning football when I was a kid, um, I sort of, it was basically just completely uninformed um, chasing after the ball.
0: To to be honest, I I was the same. I mean, I I played football for 20 years. I was never really interested in the tactical side, didn't really grasp it much. Or I was like, so, and even like watching a game like on Sunday, I could not tell you watching that live what Rio Tate did. Like, I, I, so that's why it's just like, and, and you don't really expect every single football fan to sit down and watch every game two or three times because you know it's a hobby. <laughs> you know, it's 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 not a theoretical kind of exercise, but I, that's why I said and, and a lot of people I like the stats, love the stats, but also it is absolutely no substitute for just as you say there, sitting down, mm-hmm. watching the game again, but try to watch it from a different viewpoint. And it, as you say, you know watch certain players through the whole game, like focus on them if you have the time, because yeah, uh, being in, in the stadium is absolutely the best for us. But there's so much stuff you, you just don't pick up on the first watch. Uh, that's so what we're here
1: for. It, we're here to, that's, to that's, lionize these uh, technical so, geniuses.
0: So, so I think a lot of analysts or like hobby analysts like us, you, you probably get um, an accusation sometimes of saying, oh, you, you kind of you, you just want to prove that you know better, or like he's, he's being a contrarian. But I think, honestly, there's absolutely no substitute for just watching the game again and watching it back and looking at it because you, you pick up so many things. Like if I, I could not come on, like to do this podcast, just watching the game once when you don't, especially when you don't know the results and then everything. Like that, I, I would. I, I'm, you've done a few reactions. I'm so happy I'm not doing the reaction because I would. It's the amount of. You know, shite I would spout. People maybe think I'd do that now, anyway. But I, I, it's so difficult to have an informed opinion straight after a game. It really is.
1: That's why it's uh, quite good to do the interaction, just to do the. Da-da. So I did enjoy sure. that. Yeah, it's, it's good work, lads.
0: Well, <laughs> I mean, part of the reaction is is having a go at who she's I like that on the analysis as well. On image seven, it's it's, it's hard to kind of put this into uh, images. So image time, I mean, this is just essentially at the end of it. But this happens after about 25 minutes, 40 seconds is the start of this. But again, it's Greg Taylor receiving the ball wide, right? And this is a bit before this. He puts the ball back, um, I think, to Starfelt, But if you watch the clip, John Lundstrom is the one pressuring Greg Taylor. Greg Taylor puts the ball back to Carl tarfield and it takes about a minute, no, a minute, sorry, one second after it, Lundström just completely unpromoked, just pushes him, almost squares (laughs) up to him for no reason. But the idiot that he is, because he's done that, the ball goes over to to CCV, and I think what CCV does really well, he he steps up beside Tillman, who's trying to, to pressure him. And Lundström what Ria Tate has done, you can see the image I've sent you here. He can see that John Lindstrom has been pressuring Greg Taylor. Todd Cantwell has been right outside on the Celtic's left. So when CCV steps into Rangers' half with the ball, Ria Tate is right next to Matt O'Reilly, and they're both just behind Raskin, because this is one of those fancy terms calling an overload you know, Rio Tata's move and had put him right next to Matt O'Reilly, far away from his marker, John Lundstrom, who was too busy pushing people to show that he's a big man. And Matt O'Reilly kind of goes behind Raskin, CCB slides a nice ball into him, uh, and it ends with Alston um, Johnson shot, and then Jota gets the ball afterwards, so and had quite a dangerous low cross after. So I think I thought that was a nice one in terms of John Lundstrom's idiocy. Uh, but also Rhea, Titus movement, how Matt O'Reilly, which I don't have there's too many in those women, but I thought he was very good. He was very good at finding those kind of pockets of space. and CCV's passing as well, but it all comes from a large degree because John Lundstrom wants to show that he's the big man.
1: When, he, be, when he, he should be have like been him. on the park because he should have been sent <laughs> off in the first minute or whatever for that horrible foul on Kyogo, but like let's Let's not
0: focus That's, too much on that. <sighs> but again, I mean, I'm focusing on, on a lot on Tati. But looking back, you know, Image Eight, it's kind of another thing he does. I think he's, we talked a lot about how it can be quite difficult to find Carol McGregor in these kind of circumstances. But Image Eight is a really good example of Hattati coming to watch Carl Starfeld. He's got three men running after him. But he's coming towards Carl Starfield, not to take the ball and turn because he's pressured. He's coming Carl car- Starfield because first touch it into Carl McGregor, who's again completely free. So doing that very nice bounce ball, I think yeah. I mentioned on, on, on the Friday preview and a bit earlier as well, that to get the ball to Callum McGregor, you can't get it directly into him. If you get Greg Taylor, you had to just come inwards and a bounce ball into McGregor. Again, it worked. But that was... Just before half time, so I'm jumping a bit, but about 14 seconds later. So this is Rio Tati's, the first image is like about 10 yards into his own half on Celtic's left. About 10, 12 seconds later, he's on the right hand side, far into Rangers' pitch, receiving a ball from Kalmarger. You know, so it's, it's it's just that kind of movement. And I think he didn't have any standout points, you know, moments on the ball. Colin, he. He's probably slightly off the pace, maybe defensively. But looking back, I think Riatay actually had quietly an effective game, doing what he, he does really well.
1: Yeah, I, I feel that. I mean, what you were saying earlier about just kind of cherry picking things just to suit your own narrative, and I was just like, I was wondering, like, okay, did you know? I don't, I don't remember Hatay having that great game. But like, as you say, like looking back at just watching certain clips. Uh yeah, not not like a sort of full, I mean, not full pelt Rio, but also I think last season when he was visibly struggling and uh, yeah. I, it, it wasn't that kind of performance. I don't think it was, it was that sort of thing where you, you, you know, you really feel you needed a break. So um, yeah, it was kind of quite interesting to go back and see actually all the good stuff he did do.
0: I, I think we'll get onto this now, but I did a lot of other players who I thought made the first time quite good. But I think Hatati's role in it was looking back actually bigger than I, than I thought it would be. Um, but you mentioned the right-hand side and I think another big part of you know Celtic was doing all these good movements on the left with Hatati, Taylor, Maeda, getting the ball in. The right-hand side as well was... Whereas the left-hand side also focused on getting Maeda one-on-one with Tavernier. The right-hand side was a lot about getting Jota one-on-one with, with Barisic, which he would. We talked about AJ's kind of bounce ball into McGregor who worked well. I think he's got a really nice ball after 29 minutes. I don't have an image of it. It was that really quick counter and he plays a lovely ball, you know, almost running behind Baris, just into Jota and Jota's first time pass into um Kyogo as well, but almost, it was just caught out by uh, Al McGregor. So I, I, I thought the right hand side as well, whereas it's maybe a bit less about playing through, it was a lot direct on the on the right-hand side and I thought Jota got on the ball in a good situation quite often in, in terms of that period.
1: You think that um, obviously we talk about Jota being better on the left and he's moved it to the right to accommodate Maeda, but um, I think it's more, it looks more and more that Jota's very, very comfortable on the right. Is that just me just kind of it's, giving it's him a, a pass?
0: This is a really funny one for me, Colin, because there was always this the this to have Jota on, on the left and I think nothing in like early on I thought really stood out as saying he's he's a lot more effective on the left than the right. Um and I thought Dice might have you know, worked quite well on the left as well. But I do wonder if this is just a case of Jota has the ability to be really good on the right hand side as well. And I think he's he's he does like to cut in from the left but I think being on the right kind of forces him to be a bit more not creative but he he still has the ability to cut in on the left through a ball on the right but I think he's maybe because he's learned to roll more I think he's he's maybe he's just a better player but I think he's a lot more effective from the right than Haxabana which is right Yeah. but the other part of that is Dice Maeda and I just go I worked work with Dice Maeda on the left but then I, so Dice Maio gets a lot of criticism, often rightfully, in terms of his touch and some of his crossing. But I think we often forget that he also usually does it from the left, and his it's his weak foot. So I, I, I'm not sure, Colin, why because the, the the logic in this is obviously that put a guy like Mayeda whose technique, his close technique, isn't his strongest part. Why don't you put him on the right? Because he's got good crosses with his right, like as we see for the goal uh, and so on. But uh, if you ask me, why is Ange persisting with Mayeda on the left? And I think Jota is effective on the right as well. But you do wonder if Mayeda is would it not just be easier for him? As for example, if you played Mayeda and Hexabana, which that's two players who's you know, I think you prefer a specific side. But i interested to hear your theory, recall in terms of. Why might guys play on the left because I'm, I'm really not sure like
1: I mean i the, the only thing that really occurs to me is that it's for his defensive work um and b- b- maybe because Taylor is playing more
0: something he, in that combination, yeah,
1: yeah, because he he's more inverted than Alistair Johnson is, I guess, yep. so to to allow Taylor to play that inverted role, you've got Dyson who is a phenomenal. D- defender um
0: and so fast. So maybe that's why. So Colin why, why don't you and I make a pack now? So next time you're on the press conference with Ansh Postokokler. Okay. Let's, let's
1: let's ask him. That's like, well, okay. That's uh, that's it, and
0: I, I'd also like you to ask him about, I'd also like you to ask him about why Joe Hart isn't uh, stepping up forty meters from the goals like his Japanese goalkeepers were. But uh, so the, we can brace some of that. Um <laughs> but speaking of I, I think first half on the ball I thought it was good first half off the ball I thought was very good as well in terms of the work rate like we talked about the recoveries and stuff like that maybe Rangers having more of them but I thought Kyogo and me defensively were very good you know there's, Kyogo runs up I think is rasking quite early on Dyson has after 17 minutes he's got an incredible recovery uh, run off the ball after Rangers play out on, on, from the left Image nine is just I wanted to put one image in for it, because this is like injury time in the first half. And there's a big long ball from Colson um up against Tavernier. Um, so Greg Taylor and Tavernier has a you know, aerial duel on the left hand side. But Scott Arfield makes like a huge run. And he's he's, he's probably got about five, ten yards on Dice Mayeda, but Dice that makes that run behind Greg Taylor and covers up for that big run and I think he he forces a corner which is you know Carl Stauffer's positioning is it's far in the middle so I think that could have been very dangerous but as you said maybe that's why right on the left hand side uh, calling because obviously Greg Taylor's high up a lot of the time he's obviously not the biggest in terms of you know winning those duels so you need somebody behind them mm. to be able to, to pick up and Dice Mayers running there was incredible Image 10 is, you can kind of, uh, I think it's just a nice illustration of total, can't well, can't well, um, trying to take the ball in, inwards, um, dribble through, but you have Hatate, McGregor and Matt O'Reilly who, I, you know, I said before, I think he's very good off the ball, straight on him, uh, and wins the ball straight away. Um, so I think that off the ball stuff from the more attacking players were good. Um, Oh, off the ball from some other players I thought was very good as well. Um did anything to say about that or should we jump into the centre back sales to Just
1: Yeah, I think I mean the the thing is, as you say, um there's a lot of good off the ball work happening, but maybe you know it's not the thing you focus on. So um I think we should I think we should we should crack on with
0: the center. backs so, so, so I don't know if you've listened. To the review before much, but um, every week, don't miss thank it. Thank you. Me and Graham, <laughs> we often have a lot to say about the center backs and, and, and Alistair Johnson. I, mean, I think there's a couple of points to this, okay? So, if you has maybe as in the last you know, second half in the last 10 to 15 minutes yet, uh, of Sunday's game, if so, he has the, the back against the wall you know they're getting crosses in there's fighting in the penalty box CCV, Starfield and Alistair Johnson now and then Ralston before you know Mm -hmm. very well equipped for that very good at it and you know CCV especially is immense in those kind of situations and you can see that kind of love and that kind of uh you know love I guess is for CCV you can see where it comes from because he's so good in those kind of situations. I guess my point has always been while those players are really good at that, it's always a high risk strategy to allow the game to get into that state. Right? Because it is a little bit of a lottery, even though you have you know players so well equipped for like CCV, Starfield, Justin Ralston, you know, one bad bounce bounce uh, you know, a little slip up, you know, just to kind of wrong flight on the cross. If you allow the game to get into that kind of state, it is a gamble. And I think in these kind of situation and, and this half, in this game as well, it does come a lot from the center backs, the goalkeeper to a degree, Alistair Johnson, especially Tony Ralston not being able to be press-resistant as much or keep the ball on the team and not be that confident in that. So I've talked a lot about in this game as well, these centre-backs have very good qualities. Alistair Johnson has very good qualities, but do they fit the style? People probably moan when I say that. It's do they fit the style? But what I wanted to put a very long way to get to this point, Colin, but uh, you'll get used to that. I do think these players fit Anxious style in a way we maybe don't talk enough about. And that is how aggressive they are. See, in situations where, and these were, wrenches kind of try to go direct, or the ball is played over the press, or there's a ball maybe five, ten yards in front of the back line. I think players like CCB, Starfelt, and AJ, and they, they show this specifically, the first half and the second half, they're incredibly aggressive in pushing up, and winning that first ball. And I think that's, you can kind of get the sense for that, suppose, to sense with Ashapostokoglu and training clips, like stuff like that. He wants that relentlessness in you know, his back line, pushing up, winning that first ball, and essentially making sure that the opposition don't have a second to breathe and to get out and just keep them in. And I thought throughout that first half, you saw it. From CCV, sort from AJ, a couple of times you see from Starfield, you saw from Starfield a couple of times in the second half as well. When the ball goes up and they're all bang, you know, not even in the back of somebody and an attacker who kind of receives the ball with back to the goal, but get in front of them, get them on. And they did that again and again. And I think that was a major part in keeping the ball in Rangers' half in, in the first half as well. And I think that is an example of how. Well, I think the ball playing skills don't really fit the system at all. That kind of aggressiveness they have in the duel does actually fit the system, even though it's thought about as a very offensive system that kind of intensity of, of in the duel suits the system really really well
1: and the, I think a thing that's easy to overlook with this particular game that this is a clean sheet against Rangers, which we haven't seen uh for a wee while to be honest i mean we've we've conceded uh two goals in the previous two games um and i felt today like the th- the fact that CCV got the player of the match um this w- this was a defensive performance overall and you know we weren't creating as many chances as we usually do so we had to like be ruthless when we had an opportunity to score which i think we'll just get onto very shortly um but that was a clean sheet and i think that our defence deserves some props yeah. and, not, and not constantly yeah. ragging them for not being able to like, dribble out. And, and I, think that's,
0: I think that's the kind of I guess differences in a lot of people's opinions around us. Because once you get into that game state, those defenders are really good. My argument would probably be over a whole season, especially in certain games, the reason why Celtic get into that game state, it's not solely on them, but they are contributing factors sometimes to losing control of the game and then getting into that state. But as you say, you could see in this game that their defensive qualities, it's not just back to the wall stuff, but it's allowing Celtic to keep the ball of ratios half in in, in a lot of ways as well. But I mean, Colin, let's move towards the goal because a couple of minutes before the goal, actually, um, there's another nice move from Celtic. It's Greg Taylor picks up in the middle. He sends Dice Maeda one-on-one with uh, Tavernier. A great cross... With his left over to Jota on the back post, where I don't buy you, but I, I, I can picture that Jota having a nice first touch and then just smashing it. Everyone's under his feet, you know? But I think that was an example of something that's coming. But just before that, you know, we had a little fun with John Lundstrom. Let's have a little fun with Todd Cantwell because right before the Celtic goal, Rage is actually quite a really good opportunity. So they're on the, up on the left hand side. This is image 11. And Todd Cantwell comes a little bit inwards. And Celtic has been really pulled over to the, their right-hand side. I think you've got about six Celtic players in the space from like the right-hand side post towards the sideline. Todd Cantwell comes in, and he could play a ball into Tavernier, who's got huge space. If Todd Cantwell looks up, plays the ball into the middle, you know, that's a huge chance for James to Again, it can't roll because maybe it's just not that good. He sends the ball over to, I think he tries to hit, is it? not Morelos? I think it's one of the uh, uh, attacking midfielders into the ball. Celtic picks up the ball. And essentially, from that, Celtic goes up the, the pitch. Um, you know, there's a long ball uh, from AJ towards Dyson because it's gone over the, on the right hand side now after uh, a few minutes. Um, Matt O'Reilly pressures on the second ball. Celtic win the ball back. Matt O'Reilly gets a free kick, quickly taken. Then Colin. Makes me don't have this is a bit a a tactical analysis to spot. I, I, I still can't believe Matt O'Reilly doesn't get a free kick for that one before that goal. It's, it's an absolute blatant free kick. <laughs> um, well, I mean that,
1: that's that's exactly it, and uh, it's you know the you know old adage of play to the whistle has never been. Clear, more clearly delineated and the fact that um, I, I kind of feel that the refereeing was bizarre generally uh, and you know with the kind of paranoia that creeps in he was like oh he's not giving a foul because he's trying to give them an advantage and then it just ends up uh, to their complete disadvantage which was rather delicious and you you got you to gotta love these moments. <laughs> and then like
0: everybody's seen the goal and, from it but have a look back and see just when uh, Matt O'Reilly is fouled. Look at Dicey though, 'cause because um, it seems like he straight away looks at the referee and he sees that the referee is not putting his whistles to the mouth and anything, and then he kicks into gear. And it's it's quite delightful. It's Barisic again, and then obviously it's it's this is Celtic's biggest chance in the half by far, I think. Weisskatt had the at 0.33 XG for this one and obviously Celtic goes into the first half with an XG of 0.43, ranges 0, although I think Rasky's shot was lost in the fog, but it probably wouldn't have been more than 0.02 or something like that. So overall first half, probably I think I thought Celtic were much better on the ball than Rangers. I think they managed to play through their, their, their ranges defensive setup better than the last derby. I mean, we talked a little bit about what why that is. I think it's, you know, really Tati did play his part, but I think the other players did really well in, in doing that. The game was a little bit betty, I should say. You know, Rangers have to bowl more than than they usually have against um, Celtic, but it was helped by that kind of defensive work as, uh, as well, I think, overall. So at first half, I think, tactical point of view, I think Celtic, well, they didn't create a lot, I think they were quite successful in kind of, Playing through that ranges block to a much larger degree than they were in in the last hour.
1: And so we're going into the second half, mm-hmm. and uh, we're talking about you know sort of some some people think we should be making changes, but we we stick with what we started with. We don't change formation, but they do change formation, right?
0: Yes, so obviously... Um, is, yeah.
1: uh, and then and then the, we seem to be under the pump for the first t- t- 10 minutes or so. Is this because Beale is a tactical genius,
0: or are there uh, other reasons? I can, I can exclusively reveal he is not. Um, uh-huh. But obviously, our field comes on for Tillman in, in the first half. And in the second half, what they do is switch from that 2-4-4 four, four press, seen from the front, and they go back to 2-1-3-4. Uh, so it's essentially... Instead of having one of the strikers or the two front men, um, and I think at this point uh, is Sakala that comes on as well, um, but uh, uh, essentially for Kent at half time, so you have Morelos and Sakala as a front two, but none of them are tasked recovering Callum McGregor like Tillman was in the first half. Instead, they are asked to push up on the centre-backs. So you can kind of see image 12 is kind of two examples of of what they were trying to do. So the big change here is like they put Todd Cantwell on McGregor. They pushed the two front players up at the centre-backs. And what to do behind that, obviously then they have a midfield tree behind it. But you had someone, especially when Celtic tried to play out on their right-hand side, one of those three central midfielders now, Raskin pushed right up on Celtics fullback, which you know, started with as Alistair Johnson and then Anthony Ralston. So they were pushing the front strikers, was just tasked with pushing the centre-backs. The whole Rangers line, I thought, was higher up. But then also someone like Raskin, kind of, he pushes up beside that as well. And then you leave for Lindstrom and Arfield to cover O'Reilly and Hatati in that kind of sense. So it's a lot more aggressive. There was, you know, the front true, the front true, as I said, it's is a lot more higher and aggressive. And I think, you know, it happens in the first half straight away. Alston Johnson placed the ball out of play the first time this happens. And Ralston comes on. I think he struggles a little bit with that really intense press as well. Um, and I think especially on when Celtic tried to play out on the right, Rangers were quite effective in kind of just pushing them out. So they couldn't really get out from it.
1: And about that as well, like because I mean, you, you I am and then an, like uh, very emotionally attached to Anthony Ralston, <laughs> uh, and I always, I'm always fighting his corner because I think he's underrated. But I know that this is probably an untenable situation. But to me, I don't think he was getting a lot of support for the, an out in these situations. So he's getting pressed. So could could we not have been doing better to like? to give our defenders more of an option for a netball in these situations.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's an adjustment as as well to do that, you know, to, to kind of then see what Ranches is trying to do and then kind of adjust to that. I think Cal McGregor tried to come quite close as well, but I think overall it wasn't that many times he, you know, Rangers managed to hem them in, but it was especially in those first 10 minutes, I think, they did it quite deliberately, and you know, for all of Ralston's qualities, I guess the counter argument, would be that you know he should be able to find those passing alternatives a bit more himself as well. But yeah, it's it's, it's always you know the state it takes two to tango, you know, and if if Rangers goes down really high up, really high pressure on on Celtic's backline. I can see the logic in that because none of that back line is that's the forty and uh, you know I, I think with specifically Tonyrelson whos haven't played much and he's just in uh, after that after after half time as well, it made a lot of sense of just pushing that right hand side uh, completely uh, after he comes on so um but yeah um i i don't I don't think he's underrated colin. But <laughs> yeah. well, we'll leave he's that. will leave
1: Sufficiently that. rated. Yeah. But also, I think like looking back, it's probably this overrated. Is, but yeah. Is I hate some though. It's great. Oh, just like <laughs> see the very end. He just gave somebody a wee shove. Yeah. You, know, you know. I happy
0: have him as a hype man.
1: You yeah, know, exactly. like a,
0: what, what's the guy in run DMC? Uh, play for flavor,
1: flavor. Uh, he's public
0: enemy. What's that, the guy? They did it. You're right. I've I've, <laughs> I've made a fool of myself in front of Tebow. That's fine. Um so, but I think a lot of this we talked about before this, like how the first ten minutes were felt very, very long. And looking back on it, so Jota touches the ball after about a minute in the second half, just inside range of half, and then it goes back into Celtic's half. And that was the only time the ball, not even in Celtic's position, but that the ball was in Rangers' half for the first nine minutes. For the other nine minutes of that second half, the ball was just in Celtics' half. Now, there's not nine minutes of play because there's three free kicks that Rangers line up and tries to get into the box. So you've got CCB down for a little bit. Alistair Johnston's injury is part of that as well. But until Kyoko chases a back pass on 50, after fifty, almost fifty-four minutes, back to Al McGregor. That was the first time the ball had properly been in Rangers' half the whole half, and then I think Taysmeier gets uh, touched on the ball in Ranchers half after fifty-four minutes. And that was the only time. So, do it wasn't. No wonder those first eight nine minutes felt long because Celtic was literally not out of their own half, and there was good reason for. It. I don't think there was. We talked a little bit about some of the issues in, in Rangers' press tyre, but I don't think there was huge mistakes. It's just one of those phases of play with lots of stops, free kicks. and. But I do wonder whether those 10 minutes led to maybe the substitutions coming, or well, a lot of substitutions coming in as well further on. But I, I, I wasn't for you, Colin, the first 10 minutes. <laughs>
1: Well, I felt that, you know, it start, the free kicks are the thing that I would highlight, um, yeah. and I feel, um, I can, obviously when you're watching it, and you're all hit up, you feel that every free kick that's given against you is a complete injustice, so um, I would just be foaming at the mouth, like, can't believe that's been given, but it feels like we were kind of playing into their hands a wee bit, and they, were, they, they love to break up play, they love set pieces, um, and can we maybe do a bit better in sort of not giving these cause they're looking for those fouls in those yeah. kind of in those areas. Uh do we do enough to sort of are we disciplined enough to not give away those kind of free kicks or do you think they're just gonna come because they're always going to be looking for them?
0: Yeah. I mean once that's, that's just uh, uh the danger in, in not keeping the ball. As well, even, even in your own half, like, so you, you do create situations where if you're not, it's, you know, quite simplified, but if you're not on the ball in your own half and you're trying to chase it down, it's just a likelihood of conceding free kicks is, it's even more. So for me, it's more about, you know, that's for me is why you try to restrict going long from the back as much as possible. for Because what usually happens is that the ball just comes right back at you and you just can't get out. And while it feels safer for a few seconds to go long, overall, you create that kind of game state that you get hemmed in. Possibility to get free kick against, you know, and crosses in and stuff like that kind of increases. So, So that's kind of... But other than that, looking back on that, it's not like there's huge mistakes on the ball from Celtic and stuff like that. It was just one of those things where, you know, it, it took a long time to get out. But then after that, like, I think Celtic gets a throw in just inside Rangers' half after about 54 minutes. <laughs> and Greg Taylor, I timed this from, he gets, it takes about 28 seconds from, from Celtic gets to throw into he throws it. He holds the ball for 20 seconds. And I think it was at that point. It, I reckon it's quite deliberate to say, "Look, I'm just going to hold the ball here and try to take the, the sting out of this." Because I think slowly after that, in the next like ten minutes, Celtic got back into it. I mean, it was Hatata sends Kyogo true to get a shot on Alan McGregor. Um, just after that, after that kind of corner situation, shot, uh, completely knocked makes Cantwell and sends a dangerous crossing. Love I it. think even a minute after that there's an absolutely ridiculous pass from Riel Atate and a great run to from Matt O'Reilly who kind of receives the ball just in front of the penalty box um, but after that again Matt O'Reilly shows some really good defensive work He gives the ball to Atate who almost sends a nice true ball to Kyogo right after that it was one of those points where Starfield really aggressively jumped up on a ball long ball from ranges won the ball and sets up the Kyogo shot that, that flies aside so suddenly, from like being, not being able to get into their own half, like seven, eight minutes, like Celtics I think they're on top again, right? And I think they're getting into it. what you can see from you know so the TV picture is that the subs are pretty much ready at 62 minutes getting some instructions. So you reckon you know that decision to put them on is probably coming at 58, 59 minutes, right? Rangers get their big chance on after 63 minutes. Um, it kind of comes from Jota jumping up from the block to press, but the subs were kind of ready. Um, but Celtic had been fine really since the 56 minute. They've been creating chances, they were keeping the ball, and then this triple sub comes on. Now Mark obviously Barkley earlier had that question about um, the subs, and he's more like should had had to be taken off earlier. But substitutes Colin. <laughs> I know it's kind of like the, the laziest of analysis to kind of go, oh, he shouldn't have subbed on that person. He should have subbed, kept them on. And that's kind of, you know, the manager has to make a decision there and then. But for me, doing three subs for those players at that time, um, you know, I was a bit apprehensive about it. I think what unfolded in the next 15 minutes kind of showed that it didn't improve things.
1: Yeah, you, you do wonder if it's just, you know, it seems to be set in stone that these three subs come on around about the 60-minute mark. Um, and you do wonder what the thinking is sometimes because uh, it, it, it quite often just seems to sort of like upset any flow we've managed to get. It seems to, we always have like five to 10 minutes of just kind of flux. What So, I mean, but it's obviously a kind of, almost like a philosophical sort of, Point with Ange. what what is the attachment to the triple sub at 6A, I,
0: I think, okay, I think it's probably understandable in terms of, you know, he's been out for a long time, but Chota, I thought I was involved in the game. He's, he seemed fresh. Matt O'Reilly as well, I thought, you know, was putting up that big shift in. So uh, I, I'd. <laughs> And maybe it came for, as a response to those first two minutes. And then, you know, Celtic, as I said, well, the, the play wasn't terrible. They just couldn't get out. But for me, they were slowly getting back into it. And I think maybe, maybe like a for Hatate and then wait 10, 15 minutes for, for the next one. I think looking back in hindsight, of course, um, might have been better. You know, if, you know, look back at, you know, image one, um, image two, sorry at the start of this in terms of the stats per every 15 minutes, if you, if you look at like stuff like from the 61st to the 75th minute, you know, and that includes kind of like two, three minutes of Celtic being, you know, dominant at the start of that. Celtic's got, uh, Celtic's got 35% possession in that period. Races has got 65 in that kind of period after the subs. And in terms of, you know, Pass accuracy, for example, and dropped from, you know, drops really low after that as well. And it's kind of Celtics' long balls, the share, how many percentages of their passes are long, goes up to its highest as well. So I think, well, she doesn't create much calling. I, I think those subs at that point felt like it kind of gave initiative back to Ancius a little bit. What was, what was kind of your. Your impression of it?
1: Yeah, I just—I mean, I feel that—I mean, I—I I, I sighed quite heavily <laughs> when I saw Moy coming on. I—I I, I mean, I think—I mean, we've had this conversation a few times about Aaron Moy, and uh, and he's done a lot of great things, but he's just not been at the races, you know, since he's come back. And I feel like today was just like, well, maybe this is the time for the kind of dependable. Aaron Moy that we've seen before that can hold on to the ball, can protect the lead. We've got a very, very narrow lead and maybe we need a bit of game management. But I felt like he was, he's just been uh, he was just true to form with the last couple of appearances. He didn't seem to be able to, to hold on to the ball. He seemed slow. Uh, I was getting quite frustrated. So I think that was my my main issue. It was just was, was <laughs> kind of a, a laser focus of uh, of dread and hatred.
0: <laughs> I think I think there is a period here like after probably, say, 82, 83, 84, 85 minutes, where Aaron Moy and Haxibanovich start doing the things you want them to do. Like, get on the ball, hold the ball, play the short passes, keep the ball. And I think if you put Aaron Moy on after 80, at that point, I think you probably get a lot more use for him. For, for my issue, um and I've kind of like image wasn't that so much on the ball, it was off. his off-the-ball work. Because I I think he needs to get up to speed, but his forte is never off the ball, right? He he can be very effective in a team where he's got runners around him, you can give him the ball, you can have runners running off him, and and he can pick those passes, because we know he can do it. And we know he can arrive in the box and, and finish really well. And I think, as you say, that the idea behind this was probably get him on the ball, keep the ball. But... When he's when Celtic doesn't have the ball and it's in a situation like we had here, his pressing was that's so it's just off the ball was dreadful. Like Image 13, is he's completely ball watching it in the press. He Dyson is pushing on goals and the ball goes out to Tavernier. Iron doesn't even notice John Lundstrom. That's his man, that's the way he's got. He just runs straight out at James Tavernier. Ranches plays straight out from... to Lundstrom straight up and Sakawa um, gets, to, you know, uh, I think he has a misses from, from across here. So, again, I thought <laughs> he was overall just very passive in the press, you know, above when Lundstrom was receiving and then Cantwell was running through after 75 minutes. There's one point where Rangers has an attack, the ball goes up to uh, Goldson. This is image 14. And he kind, of, he kind of waves to a non-existent teammate to take Lundström, who's three yards beside him. There's nobody there. He's the one who needs to pick up John Lundström. And so that kind of lack of... It's just what's not the us again, Colin, off the ball. And that ends with a big chance with CCV you have to um send it out to, to corner. Um, so I think, as I said, from about 84, 85 minutes, he, he gets on the ball, he keeps the ball, and that's what you want him to do, like to tick the clock down. But I think those three changes... They kinda of came in a period where I think Celtic were doing fine and they could have waited. And that's with hindsight, it's could a bit better, but but it's got, I think even in the I think there's Celtic do some good things on the ball that, you know, down on the left hand side they they managed to, to play out a bit more. I think after seventy first minute, I talked a lot about the centre backs. CCB, he's pressured by Sakala, I think. He steps out. He steps beside him, and he takes the ball up. And that's in those kind of situations. That is so important from your centre back, like take that, see a little gap, take the ball up, pass your player and pass it on. So you know, in that kind of you know, would love to see CCB doing that more because I'd, I had the confidence to in that kind of situation. Twenty minutes to go, you got a forward coming against you, but there's a gap there. You step up into it. It helps the team so much. I, I thought we did well there. After 74 minutes, there's an absolutely ridiculous ball from Ibata to Mayera. Um,
1: oh, that was a peach, yeah.
0: And then Mayera's cross is obviously but it's left. It's not good. But I also, you talked about the, the tactical genius that is Michael Beale. Um Taking Raskin off and not Lundstrom on the 73rd minute um, and then also taking Morelos off. And Whatever you think about Raskin and Morelos, I think they're a lot more effective than Lindstrom and, and and Cantwell when you're chasing a goal. So I think their substitutions weren't great either. It is a flurry of Celtic corners getting a bit further on, Colin, and then right at the end, the kind of last pit that I have is image 15. Celtic, I've just felt Celtic fell too low. You know, They were getting a bit too low with the back line and the midfield line. They're kind of waiting for Rangers. They were kind of giving Rangers the time and space to hit balls like the one in image 15 out wide where you not only give them time to hit a ball, but you give them the space because your backline is so far back to run at you. Um, And then they get a free kick from that. But again, it's kind of reverting a bit to the sins Collins and the uh, uh, right at the end in terms of getting felt to just go too low. But overall, I think it felt nervous and there was a lot of things you want to pick up, up in terms of off the ball and the, back line and midfield line falling too far down. Well, in the end, Rangers doesn't get too many shots at all, or hardly anything. So, I'd rather the game wasn't in that kind of state, but also, I think, again, shows up the deficiencies in this Rangers team to actually execute in possession and in, in in crucial times. And and the substitution they did as well didn't help.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, they, I mean, they needed to win. They needed to get something, and they didn't. And that's that's delightful. But I was also thinking, just some <sighs> there's a couple of things happening in world football uh, where some teams are kind of maybe stuttering a little bit. They they're getting to the you know we're getting into sort of the, the end stages of various leagues. So we've seen kind of um, Dortmund and Arsenal kind of having a few blips and wheezes and sort of uh, bottling it and in inverted commas. Um, and also, uh, do you, do you th- do you think this is the the my main takeaway from yesterday is that we are, we didn't stutter, we got that thing, uh, that we got the the win that we needed, and hopefully this is going to take us to a treble. Um, but do you ever wor- worry about the business end stutter?
0: Um not really with this team because I, I think a couple of, like teams like. Arsenal and and Dortmund, there's one sense of them probably getting a little bit better results than than the performances overall in the season. So I think, well, like you can keep that going for a whole season. Sometimes, I think eventually, part of that is just. You've had a good run, but uh, you know it's, it's unsustainable in terms of how good your, your system and everything like that. With, with the Celtic team, I just think you know, we talked about this quite a lot on the pod. In terms of that it's almost a record-breaking season; it could still be one in terms of the points total goals well scored. But there's been a lot of times where people maybe after a game say, "Oh, this wasn't that sparkling, was it?" Or oh, there was like periods of sparkling and other periods where it didn't work that well. And I do think the reason why Celtic keep winning—and don't get me wrong—they're in some absolutely amazing performances quite often as well. For me, it just comes back to the way, the consistency you execute that system again and again and again. You know, it's, it's a whole mantra. You know, we don't stop, but there's is, that is built on. Hammering that home, and he says, Do not dare do anything else than these things like true every minute, every game, the whole season. And at the end of that, you'll get the results. And, and yeah, I mean, see, like yesterday, okay, Sakala might score, uh, instead of setting it wide, and that you know, that can cause another narrative here. But overall, if you keep doing what you're doing, like range, like you know, like Celtic. Play three ranges in the first half, and then they, they manage to come true. If you have that really, really solid base to work on, and for that, I mean, like a clear tactical plan that's executed, you have the players to do it, and you have a manager that drives it, and also you have really good players, which so really helps as well. But if you have all those kind of fundamentals there, the likelihood of a stutter is just so much less. And so I think are thing
1: yeah. is, the treble is guaranteed.
0: I am saying that. here first. <laughs> and I think Ra- Ronnie Dalla should be the guest of honor. <laughs> so he can, you know, a, a small revenge for, 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 for the, the, the referee uh, establishment in this uh, this country, taking that treble away from Ronnie. That, that's, that's that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's why you yeah. don't really have, that's why I guess people talked about the security you feel with this, this Celtic thing. That's where it comes from. It's the, it, it feels a bit intangible. Right. Because it's just, there's just this, you know, belief. People call it belief. They call it momentum. They call it a drive. For me, those things can be a self fulfilling prophecy. Yes. But every intangible for me in football is built on a tangible thing. And if you have the tangible base and the foundations, you do create that kind of belief because. (laughs) um, you, you have the belief in the system, and then if you keep doing it, you have the belief that something good's going to happen in the end, which which is why you have so, I guess, little worries about the Celtic team, apart then from maybe when you get very good opponents, for example, in Europe, and how they can execute that. But I think that, I, again, that is probably a sense of having to do that again and again, and try and keep approving, and, and keep sticking to those principles in Europe as well. Cool.
1: And should we finish on a couple of more questions, maybe?
0: Yes, I mean as, as I said at the end um, a shot you absolutely love to see when you're 1-0 up is your Turkish left back taking a wild shot from about 6-25 metres a bit wide, uh, 6 minutes into injury time, so shout out to, to Gail Master. Uh, cause, is, that the little, uh, is
1: that the little Hobbit man?
0: The, <laughs> your words. <laughs> 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 But again, like from I think Sakala has a shot in the 81st minute. After that, Arfield's got a shot in the 84th, and then Neil Mas has one at like six minutes into injury time. And that that is the shot that the Rangers create. And while they yeah they do have a larger XG in the end, um, you know overall, calling in for that game, I think the first half I'm pleased with. Right, I think Celtic produce, stick to their principles as we talked about, and they what well, they don't get good chances. You can see that the play is working. Second half is weird in terms of the start of a injury to, to Johnston, and then a failure game back, and then the triple sub. So I think second half is overall quite weird. And I, I'd, I'd rather it wasn't weird because it was very tense and nervous. But overall, like you can, I guess <laughs> I talked about it by, by sticking to their principles as much as they can and having that clearly defined plan for so long now. Usually, you, you come out to uh and ask the winner, beautiful. That's so we did, yeah. So um, let, let's see. what we, Producer Claire has probably got us about uh, twelve ten minutes left. Okay. So um, we're we're now in the the
1: letters page at the end of the comment.
0: Exactly. And uh, over to you, Reese Young. Uh, say hi, troops. Hi, Reese. Uh, one for the review, guys. That's us. That's you now, Cole. Uh, we play your stats. Uh, Etc. All being a relatively new thing. I'm wondering how a player like Tierney would have fitted into this team system numbers wise, like ball progression, and also with the eye test. I feel like he's more in the ilk of AJ, strong, fast, likes to overlap and, and cross. I can't ever remember him being great on the ball, playing passes in tight areas. Um, obviously Tierney's strengths made him an elite level fullback, and he'd done it at the highest level, Celtic in the Champions League. But <laughs> hypothetically. Colin, if he popped up on the transfer committee pod and you didn't know him, would you recommend Celtic sign him or would you be looking at someone better suited to the system? I think that's a very interesting question. So I'm going to give it to you first because it's, it's also quite a difficult one.
1: It's a difficult question, yeah. Um, would no, you buy I Karen Cheney? I think if, if
0: If if he wasn't Karen Cheney he didn't have the emotional... Yeah, if
1: he wasn't KT and he didn't have the emotional connection um, you would... I mean I think the thing he's been kind of frozen out in Arsenal because he is not the inverted fullback that um Arteta wants. So I think on paper you would probably find the same thing if we were going full system, like getting those those players that can do that inverted system. But I don't think I can look past the emotion and I think he's a I think he's a fantastic player. I would have him back any day of the week. But uh I think Reese meets a good point. Um I, I and like for me it's it's emotional and it's the eye test as well, but he makes some good points about uh, about like the, the you know the sort of the style of player he is. Um so on paper I would say you might pass on him, but in reality I would gobble it up. I I,
0: I can't <laughs> believe we missed the memo about emotions being banned on the review. You're supposed to be a cold, heartless robot.
1: You well, I'm it's, not suited to this role <laughs> in the slightest, and I'm I, I sorry, Bish, was, that you, you got uh, you were expecting Graham and Christian, and you got a I, 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 like me. I, I,
0: I'll, I'll, <laughs> no, uh, I think you answered it really well, um, Colin, because the whole point of that is obviously that Arsenal is is one of the teams that that tried to play with the fullbacks very much like Celtic do, and it's obviously you know I think Christian has come out and said you know he he's been speaking a lot to Greg Taylor about learning having to play that inverted, and that, I think. I, I absolutely get the comparison to, to AJ in terms of you know that I guess classic fullback, um, you know the, the classic fullback routines in in, in terms of that uh, strengths and, and so on. But I do see some of you know what makes Greg Taylor quite efic- efficient in this is is his stamina and, and willingness to to make those runs. I think Karen cheney has that. It's his his left foot in terms of being precise and seeing those, you know, having that kind of, I guess, quite a spectrum of passing, you know, the type of passes you can do. I think Tierney, you know, has the ability to do that as well. But I guess by the mere fact that Arsenal brought in a left back when he was already highly rated to play a specific way in the system, maybe kind of tells you that a Teta at least kind of goes, well, he's not an ideal fit for that, but then again, I've signed Alistair Johnson, and and I would say you know, he's also not what we see as the like perfect fit for an inverted fullback. But I just trust him, and he's, he obviously he would play him, so I think he's you know, uh, he'd probably get a game called. That's what I'm saying, Keanu. And so absolutely, I mean that's when Greg Taylor leaves, obviously, because he's not going to be in front of Greg Taylor, um. We have another question from, from Daniel Broly, uh, beyond, the, beyond the scoreboard. Morning, guys. Uh, hope, hope, uh, I'll, I'll read the whole thing. Um, hope yours are well. Still buzzing. Still buzzing after yesterday. Uh, we really are in a special time with a special team at the moment. Don't mean to bring the positivity down. Don't worry, Daniel. That's what this whole podcast is about. Um, don't mean to bring the positivity down, but when... We're in these times. Part of me always worries about losing certain managers slash players. What are your gut feelings on Ansh? Will he still be here next season? Daniel feels he'll be here next year, but he does have a nagging doubt in case a well-run, ambitious club such as Brighton approached him. It would possibly lure him away. Keep up the good work, guys. Bring on the treble. Cheers, Daniel Burley. He sent that from his iPhone. So that's 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 you good did to know. Read
1: it, you read it all. Well done. Yeah,
0: ten thirty a.m. this morning. Uh, so it, it is funny, Colin. In terms of before I let you answer that, you know, it's I think whenever Celtic now or Ash wins you know, the league or the Pete Rangers, you can bet you anything that on on Twitter the next day somewhere has found an old tweet, right? Be from a racist fan, one of the big Celtic fan accounts saying. Usually, from the day anxious announcing, ah oh, fuck you, ah oh, can't believe the board has done this. Um, so, so, I, I think it's always like a good point after these kind of like achievements to kind of take a step back to see where we were. Like, right? so there was a lot of stuff going on with you know the, the response to Anche's appointment, but there was a specific response to it in the context of everything, and to now like. Less than two years later, having a lot of people talking about him as, you know, up there with Celtic's top two, three managers of all time, a lot of people would say that now. It's it's a first of all, it's a remarkable turnaround from where he started. That's that's my uh, cue for you, Colin. Too. Oh, sorry, I thought I, I thought I, 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 I was leading that quite nicely up and was then, a pregnant uh, pause. I, yeah, um, It was a pretty good pause. Yeah, it It's hit nine months. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so no i i think uh like from my point of view on this podcast which should now be uh renamed operation buzzkill yes um, that, that's 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 good that's quite good right um good. no i think you you're always kind of uh, i think there's a certain um glass half empty sort of approach to being a celtic fan um but i think uh and i think it's very clear he's in a uh, it's a project, and it's he's not fin- he's not finished his work, and the, I feel that the things he said without, you know, you you can never really expect to manage to say, "Don't worry, guys, I'm going to be here for X amount of years, uh, and i will leave, and I love you." And uh, but I think he's said all he can to reassure people that he is going to be here longer than people might think. Uh, I think he really, really does have. Uh, project. He always refers back to his career and like look back at what I've done before. He's a very consistent personality, um, and I don't think I think nagging doubts are just par for the course of being a football fan. But I feel that he'll. I think I think if we get a run in Europe, get some progress. If we if we progress in Europe next year, I think we've got a good chance that um, he'll be here for. The season after as well, because I, cause I, I, I feel that, yeah, like there's there's always the temptation of, of, of going to the Premiership down south. Um, but we see how like volatile that, you know, cauldron is how you I mean Leeds are already talking about having their third manager this season. And I know Brighton are in a slightly different situation and they're looking like they'll get European football. And uh, is it was a uh, you know, he could move somewhere else. He's obviously high, highly regarded. Um, but I think Postacoglu is hes not just looking for the big money. He's not looking for um, an easy way out. He's got a project. He's got his ambitions. And I think Celtic is currently the best place for him to fill his ambitions.
0: I think that's a a, for you. No, no, no! It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very good answer. I, th- I think for me, Colin is the three things with Ange. Like I think that might decide some of, First of all, it's just as simple as what's the job offer, and I think after do I, I don't think he will jump on just any club in the Premiership um, at all. But as, as I think it's two other things. It's one, he obviously doesn't suffer fools gladly. So I think if you get any sort of let up from that board and the and the backing and what he sees as them not doing enough for him to be able to to realize what he wants. I think he'd be, you know, I don't think he'd be shy about saying that or, or demanding that or even at that point says I can't do it anymore. And I think the other part is for me. He also seems like he he would have a good grasp of saying this is as far as I can take a team. And this has come to an actual conclusion now. So I think he will, obviously, I don't think he would not overstay his welcome, but I think he would know maybe first when he sings, this is how far as I can take it. But I think overall, those three things are positive for how long it's going to be there. Cause I think one, uh, as I say, you know, what kind of offer with being so volatile, would you take in the premiership? Like it have to be a special one, I think, and not, even just the size of a club, but you might want to have something like a Brighton or Brentford where you get time. Cause I think, he, you know, he can turn clubs around quickly, but he, he, you know, he needs the time. And two is like, there seems to be a good connection with the board and the board seems to be finally kind of keep backing him, not just with the money, but also like the infrastructure. So if he can keep, you know, Getting that backing out, it seems okay. And I think third as well, I think he, you know, there's a natural progression there, isn't there, next year? That, you know, will be the third season in, in Europe. I think he's improving the squad largely all, all the time. And I, I think he still would feel he's got more to achieve and that he can take this team further. Because I, th- I think that's identical. And I think. I I don't have to have the whole discussion again, but I think there's still a lot of parts of this squad and this team that doesn't fit his style perfectly, right? And there's lots of really good qualities there, but I think he's doing what he's doing with a squad that's still not completely optimal for what he wants. I think if he keeps having one, two, three more transfer windows where he he kind of can bring in players who fits the system even better, I think he's still quite far away from you know saying you no know, this is how far as I I I'm supposed to can take this team. So I think overall um you know hopefully we reassured Daniel there uh on his iPhone that um things like that he stay. Like all the signs are that he'll stay for well, hopefully yeah, at least two more seasons. And that's I, my I really, guess.
1: I really think the the next uh, transfer window is going to be dead instructive about where we're going. So I think that will be the next big indication of where we're going as a club.
0: Right. The producer or uh, the referee, as she calls herself, like, indicating a maximum of four minutes can be added. So, but I mean, that's, I've got
1: no touch a cramp. To we, be honest,
0: so. we don't need Rangers to score, so we, we don't need to get going for another ten minutes. Like you said, it's a little referee Colin, Don't get them up, <laughs> Colin Kearney. Um, thank you so much for uh, stepping in for the the, the traitor Graham MacKay on holiday. Uh, who's left us again. Uh, 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 a stellar debut on well, on, on the operation uh, podcast operation Bosco.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it, it, uh, I've got to admit, I was quite nervous because uh, big boots to fill, um, and uh, you know. Um, but like, let's just finish on the fact that the Rangers were the last chance to loot yesterday and they threw up in the box.
0: And a special shout out to Karen Devlin, who now will be able to see Kobayashi in at least six games. And uh, that's we're going to rename the pod the Kobayashi Podcast for the next six games. <laughs> so, um, I've been Christian Wolf.